You are listening to the weekly podcast of Fellowship Bible Church of Paragool. For more information about our church, please visit us at www.fellowshipparagool.com. Good to see everybody. If you have a Bible, let's go to Exodus chapter 20 this morning. Exodus chapter 20, in just a moment, we're going to be uh, in verse 15. So we are in a series that we've entitled Golden Honey, a title that we have taken from Psalm 19, where the psalmist says that God's law is to be uh, more desired than gold and is sweeter than honey. When we think of God's law, we think, man, we're people under grace, we're under the law. I mean, the law is old school, right? But what we're discovering together is actually the law is very good, right? And when we apply it to our lives, it helps us experience a deeper and a richer and a fuller life with God that he's created us to experience. So there are 613 laws in the Old Testament. And uh, we're just going through the Ten Commandments because we believe that God has summed up his heart and his character behind all of those laws within these Ten Commandments. And so just commandment by commandment, we are walking through these together. And today we come to verse 15, the Eighth Commandment that says, and we'll put it on the screen for you in case you don't have a Bible. Here it is. You ready? You shall not steal. All right, that's the commandment. Now, just a moment, we're going to cover that. Um, but before we do, let me just welcome you. If you're a guest this morning, my name is Jared. I'm one of the pastors here. We're glad that you are with us, and uh, thank you for, for cramming in. Thank you for being willing to deal with the lights. Um, we will be uh, here probably until April, and, and we'll be in a new facility, if you haven't heard, in downtown Paragol that we're working on remodeling, and so we're glad that you bear with us here. Um, if you are a guest, our hope is that you uh, go from feeling like a guest to feeling like family as soon as possible, and, and we mean that. And so um, if you want to get more information about us, you can do that at fellowshipparagol.com, or if you want to know how you can be connected in a missional community or just be connected in any way, or if there's a way we can serve you, you can come and talk to me personally. Uh, I'll be at the door whenever we leave, so you can grab me and, and, and we can chat. I want to recognize uh, this group right here before um, I, I get started. This is a core group. Uh, this is going to be a church plant in Jonesville. This is LifeBridge. Uh, they're here with uh, Zach and Natalie. And so I want you guys to just stand up. And if y'all will, I just want you to honor them. I've, uh, thank you very much, man. Super excited for you guys. We only started with eight people uh, three and a half years ago. And so you guys are already at a better start than, there, than we are. And so um, they, I've never had this happen before, but they shot me a message on Facebook, said, we're going to be in the area, would love to come and visit. And then they brought me uh, this as a gift and with prayers on it and just said they're thankful for the ministry here. And so uh, anyways, man, it's great to have all of y'all with us. And so uh, our prayers are for y'all. and We'd love to support you any way that we can. So again, all right, we're going to dive into it. Let me pray for us and then we'll talk about what is behind this command, thou shalt not steal. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for each person who is here this morning, um, who got up on a rainy Sunday morning to, to be here. We, we are not here just to sing a few songs and to hear someone preach. Um, we are here because we need to encounter you. Uh, we need our hearts changed. Uh, we are so tempted to believe that we really know how life works best and that we believe that it works best apart from you. That's a real temptation for all of us. And would you just help us with the power of your spirit today, help us to see once again, another command that you have given us that is for our good and ultimately for your glory. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Um, a few years ago, I was at Labor Park doing what I do, all right, uh, schooling somebody in a game of basketball on the courts and uh, uh, dominating the competition. Was I playing middle schoolers? Yes. 
Um, do I have any shame whatsoever over blocking their shots and playing as hard as I can against them? No, all right? Because the way I look at it is it teaches them a lesson in humility, and it makes me feel like there's probably at least an 85% chance I would be in the NBA if God had not called me into ministry. And so <laughs> I'm playing against these, uh, these kiddos. We're having a good time, or I'm having a good time at least. Um, we're playing. After the games were over, I go to the bench, um, and I pick up my coat, and I go to pick up my iPhone, and I notice that it's not there. Okay, and so if you've ever lost your iPhone, you know the sinking feeling, right, that comes from that. So I'm like, oh, okay, well, maybe it's in my car. And so I go back to my car, I look in my console, I look in the glove box, I look everywhere it's not in the car. I go back inside, I talk to June at the front desk, I'm like, June, anybody turn in my iPhone? I can't find my iPhone, you know where it is. She's like, nobody's turned it in. So we begin to look underneath the benches, we begin to look under other jackets, I mean, we talk to kids in there, you know, it's like I'm using threats at this point, like, did you take my iPhone? What's going on? Like, where is it? Okay. And, 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 and with every single minute that I'm searching for it, I find myself with just a sicker feeling that's just kind of welling up inside of me, right? Because I'm realizing now, like, I'm probably not going to get my iPhone back. And so I begin to put up flyers uh, at Labor Park. Like, if you've heard of anybody, I will give a $150 <laughs> bounty for my iPhone. Like, I'm putting it up on Facebook because this is a big deal to me, right? Because not only does it cost a fortune to replace an iPhone whenever you don't have an upgrade, but as a pastor, it's kind of like a traveling office for me, right? Like I have my emails in there, I have my contacts in there. I mean, it's just so easy, right, in between appointments to kind of do some other stuff on my iPhone. But even more significant than that is my wife had been telling me, Nora was about one year old at the time, Wyatt was not born, that, hey, I had all these baby pictures of Nora, and she's like, you got to sync that to the computer, got to sync that to the computer. Think I ever did? Oh, so that's a bad deal. Like, that's not going to go well for me at home when I'm like, hey, we've lost all the baby pictures. Um, but uh, it, it became very clear to me, right? Two to three days, like, I'm not going to recover my iPhone, right? It has been stolen. And, and maybe this morning, like, like I, I would imagine most of you in here have had things stolen from you. Maybe it wasn't an iPhone. Maybe your car was broken into, your house was broken into, your wallet was taken. I don't know what it may have been. But I think everybody in here that has been stolen from, you know that terrible feeling that you get when you realize someone took your stuff, right? Uh, I mean, it is like a feeling that I've been violated, uh, I've been disrespected. I mean, it's one of the most frustrating feelings in the world, right? And unfortunately, what I want you to consider this morning is it is so common in our culture, on a daily basis, we are having to take measures to protect ourselves from stealing. Uh, for example... I want to see a show of hands. How many of you last night locked your doors before you went to sleep? See a show of hands. Pretty much everybody in here. If you did not, you should, okay? Uh, some of you not only locked your doors, you sleep with a gun underneath your pillow, right? Or around you in case somebody breaks in your house. Uh, how many of you, let's see a show of hands, locked your car door before you walked in the cinema today? Okay, again, the majority of you. Some of you are like, did I? Like, I'm not sure. Like, baby, you go check. Like, I don't know. We locked the doors. Somebody in here is like, who did not lock their doors? <laughs> and so, we, how many of you, one more question, how many of you in here have a passcode either on your iPhone, your iPad, uh, your computer, or debit card? How many of you have a passcode on those things? Again, the majority of us, why are we doing that? To protect ourselves from theft, right? The reality is, stealing is very common in our culture today. Uh, the reality is people are born, because we are born in a sinful world, we are naturally born more like Judas than we are like Jesus. Right? We're naturally born selfish individuals who want to take things that does not belong to us. And if you do not believe me, it's because you have not had kids yet. Right? What is one of the first words that kids learn? Right? 
mine. Well, isn't that amazing, right? We know that, parents, right? It's like, I mean, you hear a fight going on in the next room, you know it's over. One of the kids thinks, right, that what they have belongs to me. It is mine, and how dare you try to take it from me, right? I mean, you walk into a room sometimes, and you'll see your, key, your kid with car keys. You try to take it from them, and they go buck wild, right? They're like, no, this is mine. Like, it's not yours. Like, all you do is poop in your diaper. Like, you don't owe anything, right? Like, you're alive because I keep you alive. And, like, you're sitting there saying, this car key, like, this car is mine, Right? Like we don't have to teach them that. Like it is just naturally embedded in us because we are born as sinful people. And unfortunately, this desire to possess, which isn't ours, really just kind of continues into adulthood. Which is why stealing is such an epidemic in our culture today. And what I want to submit to you this morning is it's an epidemic that none of us are immune to. And see, oftentimes when we think of stealing, we think of shoplifting, pickpocketing, people that are robbing banks. And that's certainly a form of stealing. But there are more subtle ways that we are tempted to steal every single day. For example, if we download music or movies illegally without paying, that's stealing. Um, If we break something or we open our car door at Walmart and we hit somebody's car and we put a dent in there, we realize that and we don't say anything about it and we just walk away, that's a form of stealing. If we cheat on our taxes, if we file false insurance claims, if we get paid for doing work we're not really doing, that's stealing. When I was at Arkansas Council, I remember people would get fired for fraudulent billing. Right? That's just another form of stealing. What they would do is they would say, I saw this patient for one hour, when in reality they only saw him for 15 minutes. And eventually they would get busted. That's a form of stealing. Or if you're on Facebook... Or just social media. You're supposed to be getting paid to do something by a company and you're wasting time doing something else that they're not paying you to do. That, again, is a form of stealing. If you go to the store and you purchase items, but you come back home and you realize that the cashier accidentally put something in your bag, right, or didn't that you didn't pay for, and you don't take that back, that's a form of stealing. I remember whenever I was in seminary and I was home for the weekend one time, I had to get new tires put on my car. I needed two new tires. So I go to the place, get the tires on, come back home. My dad's like, oh, you end up, gotten, you end up getting four new tires. I'm like, no, I just got two. And he's like, well, you've got four on here. He's like, well, I just paid for two. That's awesome. And he's like, no, it's not. Like, that's stealing. You need to take it back and have those replaced. And I did. And at the time, I wasn't happy about it, but I'm thankful for the example my dad set for me like that. Like, he realized that is stealing. And see, we do things like this. I could go on and on and on. The point is, there are things that we do on a regular basis that we think is is really no big deal, right? But it's stealing. We are taking things that an owner never gave us permission to take. And though it may not seem like a big deal to you, keep in mind, this is one of the Ten Commandments, right? You shall not steal, and we read stories really all throughout the Old Testament that, that, that display for us how serious God is about this issue of stealing. For example, in Joshua chapter 7, I think we've got that, we can put that on the screen for you, just to set a little context for you. Joshua um, has just led the people of Israel past Jericho. They defeated an army that was, humanly speaking, impossible for them to defeat. Then they had to go up against the city of Ai, the army of Ai, which uh, really should have been a, a, an army they could absolutely destroy. And so because of this, Joshua's like, hey, we're just going to send out a few people in the army. This is no big deal. They're a major underdog, right? And, and so um, he sends the army out. It says in the scripture they were routed, right? Like they were absolutely destroyed by Ai. So Joshua goes to God and says, what in the world just happened here? Like you told us to go up against them. We just killed Jericho. How did we lose this battle? And God says, well, because there was somebody in your camp 
who took stuff I said not to take. God says, whenever you go into the city and you, do, and, you, and you beat the city, you do not take the silver, you do not take the gold, you devote those things to the Lord. But God says, unfortunately, there's someone in Israel who is taking the stuff that I told them not to take. And I want you to see the conversation that Joshua has with this man, Achan, who is the man who took the stuff God said not to take. Joshua said to Achan, my son, give glory to the Lord of God of Israel and give praise to him and tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. And Achan answered Joshua, truly, I have sinned against the Lord the God of Israel, and this is what I did. When I saw among the spoil a beautiful cloak of Shinar and 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, then I coveted them, and I took them. And, and see, they are hidden in the earth inside of my tent with the silver underneath. So Joshua sent messengers, and they ran to the tent, and behold, it was hidden in his tent with the silver underneath. And they took them out of the tent, and they brought them before Joshua and to all the people of Israel, and they laid them down before the Lord. And Joshua and all of Israel with him took Achan, the son of Zerah, and the silver and the cloak and the bar of gold and his sons, and the daughters and his oxen and donkeys and sheep and his tent and all that he had. And they brought them up to the valley of Achor. And Joshua said, why did you bring this trouble on us? The Lord brings trouble on you today. And all of Israel stoned him with stones, and they burned them with fire and stoned them with stones. And guess a case like the fire didn't kill them. Like, we'll just stone you again. And they raised over him a great heap of stones that remains this day. And the Lord turned from his burning anger. Therefore, to this day, the name of the place is called the Valley of Acre. In Proverbs fifteen twenty seven, it says, A greedy man brings trouble on his whole family. In this case, the greed of Achan led to the death of his entire family. Most of you that grew up in Sunday school never heard that story, right? Your Sunday school teacher doesn't have like a cutout of Achan's family like putting on a felt board, like, look, kids, right? Like, color this picture, then be in stone. Like, it's something we don't ever talk about, but yet, that's exactly what we discover right here in the Old Testament. We see God is serious about taking that which does not belong to us. Now, I know some of you here, you're like, but Jared, that's Old Testament. We're under grace now. Okay, well, let me just read a New Testament passage. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, starting in verse 9. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor the idolaters, or the adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality. Nor look at this. Nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor the drunkard, nor the revilers, nor swindlers will ever inherit the kingdom of God. God says, if you practice stealing, even if it seems like it's not a big deal to anybody around you, it's a big deal to me. And if you continue to practice this and you just kind of leave that sin unchecked and unabated, you can have no confidence the Spirit of God is in you and that you will spend eternity in His kingdom. Now, is anyone feeling a little heavy yet this morning? Feeling a little bit uncomfortable right now, Right? Well, it's going to get heavier before it gets better. Because one way that we steal, the Bible says, is certainly when we take that which does not belong to us. But there's another way that we steal. The Bible says we not only steal whenever we take that which does not belong to us, but we also steal whenever we keep that which does not belong to us. You say, well, Jerry, what are you talking about? Malachi chapter 3, verses 8 and 10. God is talking to Israel, and he says, Will man rob God? Like, really? Like, will you really rob me? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? 
in your tithes and in your contributions. You are cursed with the curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test as the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. In Psalm 24.1, the Bible says that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. You know what that means? Is the shirt we have on us right now, everything that we see around us, it's there because God gave it to us. And so what that means is as a Christian, we should not walk around saying, hey, you know what? What's mine is mine. No, we should look and we should say, actually, what's mine is God's. And rather than using it simply for my gratification, I want to steward it for His glory. Rather than simply using my stuff to build up my little empire, I want to use it to help build up and make much of His kingdom. God says, you're robbing me. I say, well, how are we robbing you? And what does He say? You are not bringing the tithes or giving contributions. He says, I told you, Israel, bring a tenth of your income to the temple. Give it back to me. He says, I've I've told you, right? Meet the practical needs of others. Give to the poor. Don't just give to the festivals and the celebrations. But he says, I want you to use your money to make contributions, to care for those that are around you. But he says, because you're refusing to do these things, you are actually robbing from me. You are breaking the Eighth Commandment. So when most of us think of thieves, we hate them. We look and we say, yeah, thieves. Those people who say, what's yours is mine. But there's another thief that the Bible talks about. And it's not just those that say, what's yours is mine. But it's those that say, actually, what's mine is mine. And I'm going to keep it. No matter what anybody says. Some of you are here today, and you are so faithful in tithing to the church. And let me just say, we are very thankful for that. If you do not tithe to the church, we can't have this building. We can't purchase the new building. We can't pay staff. We can't. This year, we'll give away over twenty thousand dollars to missions. We can't do that. Your children can't be taken care of right now because we won't have any of the stuff or the resources back there to be able to teach them the gospel in a way they understand. We are very thankful. But there are some of you who have gotten in the habit of cutting that tithe check and saying, "Now I don't have to do anything because I tithe." I don't have to give to the poor. I don't have to meet the needs of others. I don't have to bring a meal to our missional, or, uh, to our missional community meal. Like, I, I'm good. I tithe. So don't expect anything else from me. God says, you're robbing from me when you live that way. Whereas on the other side, there are some of you that are great at making the contributions, but you're not so great at being faithful in tithing. And I would say that as a church across the board, this is probably more us. I am very thankful that as a church, like, we are seriously by God's grace, amazing at contributions. I hear all of the time how people are getting their bills paid by people in their missional community. When they come out of the hospital, they have meals provided for them. People are lending their cars so that people can get around. I mean, we are sharing stuff all the time. We are meeting. It's unbelievable the kind of stuff that we hear. It's amazing. It's a work of God. Uh, even t- a couple weeks ago, we have a girl in our missional community that we built a relationship with through being at Labor Park. And she has no family around here. Um, she just has nothing. And anyways, we just found out she has to move to Detroit. And so a couple weeks ago, she's moving to Michigan. And a couple in our missional community, the Jedons, were like, hey, you know what? Like, we should get together a, a big gift basket for her to make sure and just meet some of the practical needs that she has on her trip and when she first gets there. So we're going to go buy stuff. And, and, if, and if the missional community can pitch in, that'd be great. And so we all pitch in. Her last Sunday with us is actually the Super Bowl Sunday. She's there. And we present to her this gift basket. And she just starts bawling. 
we're like, uh-oh, like, are we embarrassed here? What's going on? And, and, and another lady in our MC went and talked to me. was like, what's, what's going on? And she said, I've just never been loved like this in my entire life. Like, nobody's ever loved me like this. And what's great, by the way, is some of you have been praying for my, the, the workout partner, the guy I work out with a few days a week, me and Matt, that's openly homosexual, openly agnostic, and he was there that night. And so he's seeing this, and it's just like demanding a gospel explanation of like, why are y'all loving this girl that looks different than y'all? That, I don't get it, right? And we hear stuff like that all the time, but here's, here's my concern and my fear is that we're going to look and say, man, because I give so many contributions and because I'm so open-handed with others, I don't have to tithe. I don't have to give anything to the church. And I think there's three reasons really why people kind of land here is I think some people don't tithe because... They can't give. Some people don't tithe because they just didn't know they were supposed to give. Like a lot of you are new Christians, and you're like, I didn't even know anything about it. What's I don't even know what a tithe meant. You know, like, I don't know. And then there's a third category where there's people It's like, I just don't want to. And I just want to say this. If you're here and you can't give, like, like you don't have a job maybe, like you know, you're not blowing your money, you don't have smartphones, you don't have the best cable package, you don't, I mean, you're literally, you don't even know how you're supposed to put food on the table. I just want you to know, first off, like, you're welcomed here. We love you. Uh, you don't have to give in order to be welcomed into this family. Um, we're glad that you're here. And as a family, honestly, we are committed to coming around you and trying to help you get back on your feet, to care for you, and to make sure you have what you need. But see, the majority of us, that's not where we are. The majority of us, it's not that we don't give because we can't give. We don't give maybe because we don't know we're supposed to or we just don't want to. And, and I want to address the first group. Maybe it's those of you that, like, you just don't know that God calls you to tithe? Some of you are here this morning and you're like, man, I've just always heard tithing is an Old Testament principle. That's old school. We're under grace, we're under the law. Like now we don't need to tithe to the church. And I just want to share a few passages from the New Testament very quickly so that you can be informed. Matthew 23, 23. Jesus is talking here. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you're hypocrites. For you tithe mint, dill, and cumin, but you've neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. And then look what he says next. These you ought to have done, but without neglecting the others. This is an agrarian culture. So people here, they're, they're, they're tithing mint, dill, and cumin. And Jesus says, yeah, like, like, you should make sure that you don't neglect justice and mercy, but you also need to make sure that you continue to do what you do. You continue to tithe. He says what you're tithing, right? 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 13 through 14. Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple, and those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings? In the Old Testament, priests, right, people would bring uh, 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 to provide for the priests who were caring for the temple and caring for the people. This is what Paul is referencing here. And he says, now in the New Testament to the early church, in the same way the Lord commands that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. 1 Timothy 5, 17, Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, You shall not muzzle an ox even when it treads out the grain, for the laborer deserves his wages. One more I will uh, point you to, and this is actually where I get my conviction that before we give anywhere else, it's good to bring to the church. Galatians 6, 6, Let the one who has taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. And so make sure that you're able to share all good things with those who teach, with those who are watching over you, that are there to protect the flock. Giving to the church is not simply an Old Testament principle, guys. It's a New Testament principle as well. And I know some of you in here who have read the Bible, you're like, but what about 2 Corinthians chapter 9? Paul says that we should give with a joyful heart as we see fit ourselves. Yeah. 
But let's remember that that verse is sandwiched between verse 6 and verse 8. That says, those who sow sparingly will reap sparingly. And I don't think that's just talking about finances. I think it's talking about something much greater than that. And verse 8 says, God will always provide. And, you know, see, a lot of times when people bring up this verse, 2 Corinthians 9, it's not because they want to give more than 10%. It's just because they want to give less, and they want to justify they're going to give less. And I think that that's where you are this morning. Like, the early church would just look and scratch their heads. I mean, in the Old Testament, do you realize the Old Testament people, whenever they would give, they would give probably 30 to 35% of their income away when it was all said and done. When you come to the New Testament, does the early church give more than that or less than that? Quiz. Does the early church give more than 30 to 35% or less? They give more. It says in Acts 2, there was not a needy person among them. They, they shared all, they had all things in common. They would bring their possessions and lay it at the apostles' feet. Why is that? Because people in the New Testament have received more grace than those in the Old Testament. And what grace does, grace does not motivate you to sit back and say, man, look how little I can get by with now and still get to heaven. That's not what grace does. Grace does not motivate you to be greedy. It motivates you to be generous. Grace does not motivate you to say, how little can I actually give her? But it motivates you to want to give away as much as you can for the good of others and the glory of God. But maybe some of you sit here and you say, you know, you bought into the lie that if we made more money, then we would give more. Again, some of you can't give, but the majority of us in here can. But we, we believe the lie that if I make more money, I will give more away. That's just not what research says. In Barner Research, it says this. 8% of people who make 20000 or less give 10% of their income away. 8% who make 20000 or less give away 10%. Whereas only 5% of those who make twenty to 29000 a year give away 10%. The number continues to shrink. The percentage is only 4% of people who make forty to 50000 give 10%, and only 2% of those who make sixty to 75000 give away 10%. I share that with you because you just need to hear this today. Giving is not primarily about how much money you have. It's about how much grace you believe you've received. That's what shapes how we handle our finances. And we see this in Luke chapter 19 with Zacchaeus. A lot of us in here, we've heard of Zacchaeus. If you've grown up in a church, you've heard, like you probably sung the song, Right? Zacchaeus was a wee little man. A wee little man was he. He climbed up a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. I think it's something like that. Like, we all know Zacchaeus was a wee little man. But what we don't often know is he was also a very greedy man. Okay? And I want us to look at this passage, and I want you to put yourself in the wee little shoes of Zacchaeus. I want you to imagine this, okay? This is a man who made his living by taxing people more than he should, so he should skim off the top and keep that money for himself. Not going to be somebody you just want to go hang out with. Okay? I mean, like, when you're going home, barely putting food on the table, this guy's taking a bath in gold coins. Okay? Like, literally, he is making it rain money, and it's your money, right? He's just taking it from you. This is who this guy is. hated by everyone. In Luke chapter 19, I want you to see what happens. He hears that Jesus is coming to town, so like a little spider monkey, he just climbs up in his tree so he can see Jesus, so he can see over the people. And this is what it says happened. When Jesus came to the place... He looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. And so Zacchaeus hurried down and he came and he received him joyfully. I just want to stop there for a second and say this. This has been kind of our mantra from day one. We have said that Jesus Christ, when you meet the real Jesus, you encounter joy. And it's a joy, it's an unshakable joy, it's not a fraudulent joy, like it's a true joy. Zacchaeus experienced that. He sees Jesus as he really is. He receives him joyfully. And look what it says next. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. 
For he, talking about the religious leaders, are mad here. He has gone into, he has gone into be a guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will restore it fourfold. Isn't it amazing? Jesus doesn't even say to him, Hey, you need to start giving up your stuff now. You need to do that. That's what good Christians do. This is a natural response. Natural response. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man, isn't this beautiful? For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. In Matthew 6, 19, Jesus says, Where your treasure is, your heart is. That's exactly what we see right here with Zacchaeus. He discovers that Jesus is a true treasure chest of joy, and he goes from worshiping his money, worshiping his stuff, worshiping what he thinks is all mine, to worshiping God. That's why in verse 8 he calls him Lord. His heart is rocked by Jesus. And naturally he goes from being a consumer to being a giver. He goes from being greedy to being generous. We need to hear this today. Some of you, sure, you're in here right now and you cannot give. And again, we welcome you. We love you. We're thankful that you're here. Some of you in here, you just didn't know that God calls you to give. But then there are some of you in here, honestly, man, some of you have been in church for a long time. And you just don't want to. You're living with the mentality of what's mine is mine. How dare anybody, including God, tell me what to do with it. And guys, that is a scary place to be. But here's the good news. If that's where you find yourself today, you know what? You don't need to pull yourself up by your bootstraps. You don't need to try harder to be better. What we all need more than anything this morning is if we are going to live a generous, open-handed life, what we need more than anything is the gospel. What we all need more than anything is to be reminded of the truth that we are worse off than we could have ever imagined, but we are more loved than we ever dreamed. See, the reality is, guys, every time that we sin, do you realize this? Every time we sin, we actually steal from God. Did you realize that? Like That's why Jesus, whenever he teaches us to pray, he says, pray, forgive us of our debts. Why does Jesus say, forgive us of our debts? Because when we sin, he knows that it is a way that we steal from God. And listen, when we steal from him, the Bible is clear that we accrue a major debt against the God of the universe that is so large, none of us can repay it. Some of you in here, like, how many, how many of you in here have student loans? Anybody? Okay, golly, a lot of us. All right? Some of you have credit card debt, you have car debt, you have hospital bills, right? I mean, you know, I mean, fortunately for me and my wife, we don't have credit card debt, we don't have much debt at all, but we do have, we have $36,000 in student loans, okay? $36,000. I'm paying $325 a month towards our student loans, but when I go out and I open up that envelope, it is so depressing sometimes to see like how middle, like how little headway we've made. It's like, man, I feel like we paid like a million dollars into this and we like literally cut it by like a hundred bucks over a year. Like, so depressing, right? Feels like you're getting nowhere. And some of you, you know that feeling when it comes to your medical bills or or whatever it may be. But listen, guys, whatever financial debt that you've accrued on earth, do you realize it pales in comparison to the sin debt we've accrued against God? Like, like, do you realize, like, the sin debt we have against Him is, is something that we can never possibly repay? But the good news is, listen to the gospel, is we don't have to. The good news is, is Jesus Christ came 
to pay that debt on our behalf. In Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 and following, listen what the Word of God says. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Him, having forgiven us of all of our trespasses. And look at this. By canceling the record of death that stood against us with its legal demands, He has set it aside by nailing it to the cross. Is that not great news this morning? Like if you've experienced that, that's wonderful news. The reality that we have all sinned against God. We all have. We've all fallen short of His glory. We have all robbed the giver of life. And some of us have done it gladly. And, and we've, we've, we've taken so much. We've sinned against Him so much. We could never possibly repay Him. You've got to hear that today. Some of you think, I'm a good parent. It outweighs what I've done bad. I've been faithful in attending the 930. It outweighs. No, you cannot repay him by your good works. I promise you. It is an exhausting, hopeless attempt. We cannot repay him, and God knew this. That is why rather than making us spend an eternity in hell paying for our sins, he sent his son Jesus to cover the bill on our behalf. Jesus came, and he lived a sinless life that we could never live. He went to a cross, and he suffered for you and me as a sinner, though we never sinned. He paid the penalty of death that we deserve to pay. And then the Bible says he rose from the dead, not just proving that he wrote a check to cover the bill, but that the check cleared. No matter what you have done, what this means is when you trust in the gospel, in the perfect life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, guys, you can be cleared of all debt. Can you imagine how good it would feel tomorrow to go to the mailbox and to pull out that student loan and to see paid in full? Amen. Right? Those hospital bills, paid in full. Dude, what's the emotions that's going to evoke in you? Are you going to talk about that with anybody? Guys, it pales in comparison to what Christ has done for us. He has cleared the sin debt. God says to you, if you've trusted in Christ, you don't owe me anything anymore. You don't have to pay me back by your good works. If you're trusting in Christ, you are fully and freely forgiven forever. And it gets even better than that, really, because if you think about it, when Jesus is on that cross, and He's paying our debt, who's to the right of Him and who's to the left of Him? Two thieves. One of the thieves mocked Jesus. And they spend eternity in hell. The other thief says, Jesus, will you remember me in heaven? And what does Jesus say to him? <laughs> Are you kidding me? You're a thief. Go to hell. No, he says, today, just a little while longer, you're going to be with me in paradise. That's scandalous. That's what that is. Jesus not only forgives us of our debts, He also gives us a glorious inheritance. He doesn't just say, you're forgiven now, just please don't be a screw-up anymore. Okay, just kind of go your way and just know that there's no debt. He says, not only am I going to clear your debt, I'm going to go above and beyond that. I'm going to bless you so abundantly, you can't even imagine what's coming. Isn't it amazing to know that there's coming a day, guys, where we really will draw our last breath here on earth? It could be tonight for some of us. It could be 50 years from now. I don't know. We're going to draw our last breath, 
and you realize we're going to be in a place called heaven. For those of, those of us that are trusting in Christ, this is reality that is free from pain, free from sorrow, free from dysfunction, free from broken families, free from cancer, free from all the injustice, free from pain. It's just going to be us enjoying the overflow of God's perfections forever. What's true of Jesus, Christian, is now true of you. Your debt has not only been cleared, you can receive an inheritance that is so glorious it won't even compare to what you can experience here on earth. If you believe that today, you can sing Amazing Grace and mean it. If you believe that today, you can celebrate. If you believe that today, you can have joy even when it seems like everything else is falling apart around you. If you believe that today, you can live open-handed because rather than trying to build up this kingdom here on earth, it's really just going to fall in the end anyway. You're going to like, I have the greatest kingdom forever waiting for me, man. Like, I ain't trying to build up anything for me here. I'm here for just a little bit, man. And then after this, it's eternity with my Father. But you can live that way. The question this morning, guys, is not, am I a thief or are you a thief? We're all thieves. The question is not, are you a thief? Here's the question. Are you going to continue justifying it? Or are you going to take your sin to Jesus and find the forgiveness and the healing and the joy that you were longing for in the things of the world? The good news is today, you don't have to sit here in shame or guilt, guys. Nobody should leave here in shame or guilt. Only reason you should sit here and you should leave in shame and guilt is if you don't take your sin to Jesus. The good news is, no matter what you have done, no matter how much you have stolen, how much you have taken, no matter how selfish you have been, you can go to Jesus with all of that right now. You can trust your life with Him. And you can be reminded of this great truth that Paul leaves us with today from 2 Corinthians 8, 9. Tim read it earlier. That says this, that though Jesus was rich, for your sake, He became poor so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. If you're in Christ today, man, we are rich. Let's share that with people. Let's show them just a glimpse of the grace that we've received through him.